All right, we've been in a series that we've entitled B, and we're almost done. We're going to finish this up next week, but I want to review and put some of the pieces back uh, into your memory, at least, of, of where we've been in this series, because each one of them build upon one another. And, and so we're just going to review for just a moment, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into this passage, which you may find as an interesting or strange passage, but um, I hope that when we're done, you're going to have learned some things that are incredibly practical. As we've looked at this, we began with belief. And our need is to believe in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done, that he is our Savior and our Lord, and to believe everything that the Scriptures tell us about him. The only way that we can truly be a follower of Jesus is to believe in him and to have our belief grow. We also examined that our destiny is not just heaven, that's a place, that's a reward that comes to us, but our true destiny is to become like Jesus Christ, to allow him to change our character so that it becomes more and more like his. Our mission, we looked at last week, is to befriend as Jesus has befriended us, to take the love of Christ he has given to us and to give it to others in an active, intentional way to love those who are like us and love those who are not so that they may discover Christ's love. Well, today and next week, we're going to take a look at our purpose. We have a mission, that which we're called to do, but ultimately we have a purpose in life as well, and our purpose is to beautify like Jesus. Everything that you do and I do should be done to reveal the beauty of God's goodness God's character, God's grace, and God's truth. Now, the reformers of old, they used a slightly different word. They used glorify, and they would say that the chief end of man or the purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it's a great definition. But glorify sometimes is maybe a little too churchy because we don't think about glorifying God, other than when we, when we put it into that word, we think of Sunday morning. We think of a gathering of worship together. And in truth, it is to impact every aspect of our life. And as we're going to explore today, especially your work. Perhaps the greatest opportunity for you to bring glory to God, for you to reveal the beauty of who God is, is in the workplace. Whether you're a mother, a teacher, a professional, an educator, maybe you work in a, in a shop, work in retail, drive a taxi. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. It is a canvas upon which you can reveal the beauty of God. And when we truly learn to believe that and function in that, it will take work from being something that we must do to becoming something that we get to do. You see, work is good. We need to remember that work is something that God gave to us before sin entered into the world. Oftentimes, we think of work in the context of drudgery, and I have to work so that I can get money, so that I can put food on the table and take care of my family, instead of seeing it as a gift. God gave Adam and Eve, when he created them, work to do. Adam was charged with naming and caring for the animals that God had created. 
They were both given the responsibility of caring for the garden and, and, and working with their hands in the soil. They had work to do before they rebelled and sinned against God. Work is good. And the truth is, all of us have a desire deep within us to have our work matter and make a difference. And so hopefully today we'll discover a little bit about how that will come about. Well, last week we looked at, <laughs> um, I attempted to use a prop on stage um, of a ladder, and you notice I didn't bring it back because I didn't want to start bleeding again um, and distract myself on that. But we used the ladder of comparison. We talked about the danger of comparing ourselves to one another. And that when we compare ourselves to one another, it keeps us from befriending others as Christ has befriended us. But it also will keep us from having our life be something that reveals the beauty of God. Because it will rob us, when we're comparing ourselves to another person, when we're either envious or, and jealous of someone else, or when we're judging them, it will rob us from using the gifts God has given to you and me that are unique, shaped to who we are and to the circumstances and position that we're placed in, it will keep us from fulfilling his purpose for our life. So we need to be aware of that ladder of comparison. Let me give you a little story that I hope will kind of illustrate this. In 1658, in the uh, small city of Cremona, Italy, legend has it that a young boy of 11 years old named Antonio uh, lived there. And we know from history that, that he did live there, and we'll find out who he is here in a moment. But the city of Cremona was a, a town that was very involved in music. The people of the town had a great appreciation and love for music. But Antonio, though he liked music, wasn't very good. In fact, Legend tells us that his friends, when he was 11, named him Squeaky Voice whenever he would try to sing. It just kind of came out as a, eh. you know, it just wasn't really resonant and pretty. And when he tried to play an instrument, he was all thumbs. He just couldn't make it sound good. But Antonio did have some gifts. He loved to carve with his knife. He would get a piece of, of wood, and he would carve day and night. Well, one day, he was out with his friends, and some of his friends were there on the street, and they were singing, and they were playing music. It'd be much like if you went into to downtown Prague, and the, the buskers were, are there. That's what was happening there in Cremona. And people were stopping and listening to this group of young people as they were singing and playing. And one particular man stopped and listened, and he not only listened, he asked them to sing a song again because he enjoyed it so much. And at the end of the song, he took out a gold coin and he placed it in the hand of one of the singers and, and thanked them for their song. Well, Antonio watched this and, and he asked his friends, who was that? And they said, oh, that was Amati Nicolo, the greatest violin maker in all of Italy. And Amati had an idea, excuse me, Antonio had an idea. He said, you know, I love music but I can't play. I wonder if Amadi would make me his apprentice. And so the next day, he camped out in front of Amadi's house, and he waited until he went out for the day, and he kind of accosted him and said, 
would you please make me your apprentice? I, I can't sing, I can't play music, but I love music and I want to do something with my hands and I can carve. And he showed him some of the carvings. And so Amadi Nicola decided to take young Antonio as his apprentice. And Antonio worked for Nicolo until he died. And when he died, he gave the business to young Antonio. And Antonio went on to become the most famous of all violin makers in all the world. You know him by his name, Antonio Stradivari, or maybe his Latin name, Stradivarius. You see, the most coveted instruments still today in all of the world are some of the original Stradivarius violins and cellos and basses and violas. But you see, Antonio chose to take the gifts that God had given them and find a way to use them to work for the glory of God. We don't know a lot about his spiritual life, but part of his heritage is that three of his six children all went into ministry full time. He served the Lord with his gifts. He chose to make his work worship to the Lord. But you see, if he had just compared himself because he was inadequate inadequate in one area, he would have missed out on using the gifts that God had given him to beautify our world and show the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. Well, with that in mind, let's, let's look at this passage in Exodus chapter 35. Chances are, this is one of those passage that, passages that if you have read it, you kind of just skimmed over it and didn't pay that much attention to it, but it's incredibly important. In fact, it's one of my favorite passages because it talks about the work of someone that we generally don't think of um, when we think of workers for God. We tend to think of prophets and priests and preachers and missionaries and deacons and, and all these different things because they have a spiritual role. We tend to think of those as workers for God and we fall into this false belief of a division between the sacred and the secular which is never what God intended. In this passage, we look at individuals who, again, worked with their hands. But what they did with their hands was amazing. This passage is talking about the making of all of the furniture and instruments for worship in the tabernacle and then later would be used in the temple. And so they were beautiful. They were beyond compare. Let's look what it tells us about this These this group of people, especially Bezalel. Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now, let me just chase a rabbit here for a second. How many of you have heard of the movie or the book, Ben-Hur? It's a novel, but this is where they got the name. Okay, just in case you're, he just did it backwards. Judah ben Hur. He just played with it, picked a name, said, that sounds really good. Let's use that. Has nothing to do with the movie. They didn't make things like that in the movie. They drove chariots. But anyway, and a side note, just in case you wondered. So here, it says that Bezalel, verse 31, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. I want you to, to hold on to that for a moment. 
Chances are, when you've thought about your work, whether it's being a craftsman with wood, cutting wood, carving wood, maybe it's doing accounting, maybe it's um, doing sales, maybe it's managing other people, you haven't thought of it in the terms of, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, we do. And when we choose to seek being filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do our work, it will transform not only the quality of your work, but the enjoyment of your work as well. Verse 31, God has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for the work of every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Emeshach, something like that, of the tribe of Dan, and he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twin linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. God's, to God, your work is incredibly important, whatever it is that you do. And here in this passage, we can discover some things that will help turn our work into worship. Ultimately, that's what we want to learn to do, is to have the work that we do, whatever it is, become worship to the Lord. So let's look at some observations. And there are a few things I just want to point out. Number one, we see here in the beginning of us that you, at the beginning of the passage, you and I have a calling. It says that God called Bezalel by name. Now, in my world of ministry, we tend to think of calling as it applies to a pastor or a missionary. But I believe every believer has a calling. Every work has a calling because God designed and crafted you to do the work that you do. He gave you the gifts, the abilities, the skills, and he is calling you out to say, this is what I have for you, and this is the way that you can uniquely use what I have given you to reveal the beauty of who I am. Just like Stradivarius, you have a purpose. You have a calling. Your work is incredibly important. And the secret of turning your work into worship is found in Bezalel's name. Now, how many, how many of you, I get in trouble because I, I pick all these names that I think are really, really cool, and I, and I say, man, the next grandchild that we have, I'm going to lobby to have them named that, and I get shot down every time, but I'm going to root for Bezalel. Chances are it won't happen. I won't be able to convince any of my children to name their kids Bezalel, but I'm going to still go for it because it's a great, great name. It almost sounds Czech, right? You know, with the bez there at the beginning, it's not Czech, it's Hebrew. And it doesn't, doesn't have anything come close to what it might mean in Czech. Here's what it means. And this is the secret, okay? You may need to write this down because I didn't put it in your notes. Bezalel means in God's shadow. The secret of turning your work into worship is to work in God's shadow. 
This means that he is with you and over you in everything you do. Now, now think about it. As he's growing up, every time that mom or dad sent him out to do something, he was like, Bezalel, go get water. He heard, okay, I need to go do my work in the shadow of God. I need to draw water in the shadow of God. I need to go care for my brothers and sisters in the shadow of God. I need to work on that fence there in the back part of the pasture in the shadow of God. He heard that all of his life and understood that. So it makes sense that God would choose him and gift him because he was already learning what it meant to work as worship. And that's what we're to do. If you will begin to see your work as being something that is in God's shadow, it will change how you work. And it will enable your work to become worship. Now, Bezalel worked with his hands. He was not a professional. Um, he, wasn't he had people that, were, that he was investing in and, and teaching and equipping. Um, but, you know, oftentimes in our modern world, we would kind of not put that as a high career. But in God's economy, it was incredibly important. He was doing something he was made to do. And God put it down in history, in his writing, saying this is significant. Not only that, his work outlasted so many others. He made the Ark of the Covenant. He made the menorah, the lampstands that were there in the Holy of Holies. He made the table of showbread. He and his colleagues made the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple. His work was incredibly important, and so is yours. Bezalel chose to work in the shadow of God and to live out his purpose. He answered God's call upon his life. There are some more we can learn from this passage. Secondly, we, we learn that skill itself comes from God. Therefore, we need to be humble. You and I, all of us, have been given skills. We're not to compare our skills to one another. They're unique. And they are a gift from God. And so if we are particularly skillful, it is really important for us not to compare ourselves to others. And if we don't feel particularly skillful, Again, we can't compare ourselves. They're a gift from God. The skills are developed with use and practice, especially when we choose to use them in the God's shadow, but they come from God. Bezalel was given his skill from the Lord. He was artistic, mathematical, creative. He knew how to administer tasks among others and to work together to build the most beautiful items for the tabernacle and the temple. But he recognized that everything he had was a gift from God. We need to be careful not to be prideful in our skills. The scripture tells us in Psalm 147.6, the Lord lifts up the humble. So we need to be humble in our approach to our work. Thirdly, we recognize that intelligence comes from God. Therefore, we must be wise. In our world, we often compare our intelligence with one another. We have IQ tests that seem to place some ahead of others. But we need to recognize intelligence is a gift. And intelligence itself 
will not translate into wisdom unless we seek God with our intelligence. See, wisdom is learning from God how to apply our intelligence and our knowledge in a way that accomplishes his glory and the good of others. Bezalel sought the Lord and became not only intelligent but wise in his work. Fourthly, our knowledge comes from God. Therefore, we are to be disciplined. We are to pursue knowledge. We should never stop learning But let the learning be for an important purpose, to better beautify and show the greatness of God who gave us that knowledge in the first place. The message of the world around us oftentimes is this. Get the best education possible so that you can get the best paying job possible, so that you can buy the most stuff possible, so you can be as happy as possible. The problem with that philosophy is that it doesn't work because material stuff can never satisfy an eternal soul. And oftentimes people get caught up in a job, a pursuit, a career, or even an educational pursuit trying to get more and more because they're trying to fill a void with something that can never fill it. Instead, ask God to reveal to you your calling, what he has made you for, what he has crafted you for, and pursue that. Seek the Lord and and find that desire he's placed within your heart that really motivates you. One One of the great terms I like to use is look for your divine discontent. That thing, if you don't do something about this, you're never gonna be satisfied. There's an ache within your heart and within your soul that you want to make a difference in a particular area. There's convictions that drive your heart and your soul and desires and passions that when you let them out, they're life-giving. That's what we should be seeking and pursuing. God, who have you made me to be? And then pursue knowledge in order to enable that to become the pursuit of our life. Fifthly, creativity comes from God. So we are to be inspired. God first revealed himself to us as creator. In the beginning, God created. Our God is a working God, and we are made in his image. Therefore, we should be creative people. We should use our our intellect, our knowledge, our abilities, our skills to look for ways to creatively reveal the beauty of God. Here's the thing. Everyone is drawn to beauty. It doesn't matter what your religious background is, what your philosophy of life is. There is something so stunning about the majesty of a mountain covered in snow or the subtle beauties of a sunrise that draws every heart and every soul to a moment of awe. You see, beauty is a reflection of God, whether a person chooses to recognize it or not. But if we can engage our lives in finding ways to reveal his beauty, then people will be pointed to God. I believe one of the great tragedies 
that's happened in the modern church is we have lost, as Christians, our influence in the creative arts. To a large degree, the entertainment field, the art field, we have surrendered over to the world. And it is a tragedy. Because it used to be that the sciences and the arts were motivated by people who wanted to display the beauty of God. Think about all the the cathedrals that we have around us. The artistry that goes into that, its purpose, its driving force was to point people to the beauty of God. Many of the the masters, the ancient artists who um, are known so well, they were driven by their desire to display the beauty of God. Rembrandt, for instance. Van Gogh, excuse me, for, the, for Dutch, Van Gogh. Did I pronounce it right? Is that better? Almost. Close, <laughs> close enough. Don't worry, I'm going to talk about it next week, and I'll mess it up again. So it will be equal opportunity for me to make a mistake. But we've lost that influence, and we need to get it back. We need to pursue those things. And and one of the things that we're doing, Ben mentioned it earlier, is um, Selena is going to be starting at the Bridge Center, Catharsis, which is an opportunity to let our soul speak in a creative and artistic way, a workshop that's going to be happening once a week that gives us uh, a chance to grow together creatively as an expression of worship. And and it's going to be cool. And if you want to find out more about it, she's going to tell us more next week. But you can go and track her down. Wave your, wave your arms back there, Selena. There you go. Track her down and say, yes, I want to do this. I, I want to let the beauty of God show. We need to do that. Also, we discover that teaching is a gift. Therefore, all of us are called to be investing in others. Some of you are uniquely called as teachers That that is your profession, that is your gift, that's the full-time thing that you do. But all of us are called to invest in others. Bezalel recognized that not only did God give him these gifts and these skills and this knowledge, but that it was his responsibility to help mentor others, to pass it on so that their lives too would be engaged in using their work as worship. All of us are called to do that as well. And ultimately, we discover that all work needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. How would your work be different if you began asking the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you could accomplish your work at your company? If you began praying in a way that you're saying, Lord, I need your presence right now in order to do this task, to make um, our company better, to serve the needs of what's happening here in our business. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can do my work. That is a very good prayer. What we usually do is we save, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a witness, which we do, or I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in areas of obedience, which we do, and somehow we separate out our day-to-day work and say, I can do this one on my own. And the truth is, we will never become all God calls us to be in our work if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said to abide in him, because apart from him, we can do, we can accomplish nothing. Well, let's take this a a little deeper, a little more practical. We're going to look at a a few other things, but to kind of really set the tone, I want to share with you a video clip that talks about our work 
as worship. So let's go ahead and, and watch this, this short clip, and then we'll look at a couple more things before we do communion together. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Have you thought of your work in that way? Here's what God says in his word about work as worship. Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God wants all of our life to be worship. He wants it all to count, all to matter, all to make a difference to him and in the lives of others. Because your work matters to God. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think first of all, in order for it to apply, uh, to for our work to become worship is we need to become like Bezalel. We need to, first of all, worship through our dependence and rely on the Holy Spirit. Go to work utterly dependent upon God. Without Him, we can't breathe, move, think, feel, or talk, not to mention have any spiritual influence. Get up in the morning and let 
God know your desperation for him and your dependence upon him. Pray that he will empower you to accomplish what he wants you to do that day. And don't make a division and over-spiritualize the work that you do. Understand that if you, um, if you do your work, whatever it is, if you're making something and you're doing it with excellence, it, is, it can be an expression of worship. It all depends on whether you're doing it in the shadow of God or not. If you're meeting with other people, if you're leading a team, You can do it in a way that is worship when you rely upon the Holy Spirit and seek to be God's representative there in the midst of that team, asking for him, from him, the ability to lead them well, to guide them, to encourage them, to build them up, to help them reach their potential. You see, when we begin to work as worship, we will have far greater influence in the marketplace, whatever our jobs are. But it begins with dependence. Secondly, we worship through life integrity. Use all that you are and all that you do in the name of Jesus to show his beauty and his greatness. This is why our character should reflect the goodness of Jesus. The people that you work with should see a reflection of Jesus in your character, uh, in the the way that you live your life. Our conduct is, should reflect the grace of Jesus. The way that we treat others should reflect the way God has treated us. The quality of our work should reflect the greatness of Jesus. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be employees of excellence. We should work heartily. We should give everything that we are to to making sure that we do our jobs well. Now, we do that in balance because work isn't the only part of life, um, and you can get out of balance in any area, but we should have a work ethic that reflects God. Remember, we are his ambassadors in the midst of that. Our integrity, we need to be absolutely and meticulously honest and trustworthy on the job, to be on time, to give a full day's work, to remember that we're reflecting him. Now, there's much more, and we're gonna, I'm going to put a bookmark in it here, and, and we're going to finish this up next week and look at it some more and unpack it, especially a passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about satisfaction in our work. But now I want to make a, a transition to the Lord's Supper because ultimately what the Lord's Supper does is displays the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've, you've really thought about it in those terms. In the Lord's Supper, we have two ordinances, two instruments here. We have the bread and the cup. And they're representative of the work of God in two different aspects. Jesus Christ is fully human. And he is fully divine, fully God. God took on flesh, the incarnation. And through the virgin birth, Jesus Christ came to earth And became fully human, but not fully human except for in one way. He was fully human, but without sin. And the bread represents his work as a perfect human, sinless. You see, the bread that we use in Lord's Supper is unleavened because in the scripture, yeast or leaven represents sin. But unleavened bread represents sinlessness. 
And so his body, his physical body, um, is represented in the bread, and it shows the work of Jesus Christ coming and living a perfect life, all of the miracles and work that he did, but the perfection of who he is and his sinlessness made him the only one who could give his body as a sacrifice for you and I. That was his work. But he is not just fully human. He is also fully God, fully divine. And the cup represents his blood. The scripture tells us very, very clearly that only God can forgive sin. Therefore, if it would have been possible for some human to live a really, really good life, it wouldn't have been good enough to pay the price for our sin, and he wouldn't have been able to forgive our sin. Only God can forgive sin. We see this all through the scripture. And God tells us in his word, without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. And so the cup represents Jesus' work as being fully God in forgiving us. He poured out his blood to cover over our sin and clothe us with his righteousness and give us forgiveness. You see, when we come to the Lord's table, we are remembering who Jesus is, and we are celebrating His work. Our God works, and the work of Jesus was the ultimate expression of worship. So when we come and receive of the bread and drink of the cup, it should be an act of worship as well, praising God for the work that He has done, thanking Jesus for giving His life, for coming here among us into our brokenness and living a perfect sinless life to take our place and praising him for his forgiveness, for pouring out his blood on the cross to forgive us of our sins. The scripture tells us this in Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This is the representation of me being fully human, but perfect in every way, giving myself as an offering for you. Verse 27, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is thy blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, something only God can do. Jesus' work is a beautiful work. And when we come and partake, it should be an act of worship. That's why it's important for us to prepare our hearts as we, before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup to recognize who Jesus is to recognize that we are unworthy in and of ourselves, but he has welcomed us to his table. He has befriended us because he laid down his life for us. So let's prepare our hearts. And as we pray, I'll invite those who are serving to come up and prepare for serving of the Lord's Supper, and then you'll be invited to come forward. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to give the one you love the most, your precious son Jesus, 
who took on flesh, who faced the brokenness and sin of the world and took it on himself. His work is our salvation. He earned it. And to him is all the credit and the praise. Lord, we humbly come and place ourselves in your shadow and ask that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, that our lives would bring you beauty. Lord, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we do so in remembrance of Jesus and of his work for us and in celebration and anticipation of his return. Oh, Lord, examine our hearts. Reveal to us things that are in keeping us from being in close fellowship with you. And Lord, just give us the grace and the courage to turn from them and come back to you. Lord, speak to each and every person here as we celebrate your work. In Jesus' name, amen. The table is open. I invite you to come and receive of the bread and of the cup.